Gaining community support through fundraising can be difficult for rural hospitals thanks to limited time, resources, and personnel dedicated to this effort. A strong development program, however, can bolster the bottom line and, more importantly, build affinity for the hospital among members of the community. So, how do rural hospitals raise money to support their finances and their relationships? With strategic resource allocation, the leverage of established connections, and plenty of creative, sometimes unorthodox, ideas. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 67 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. You know, Rachel, we haven't jumped into fundraising too much on this podcast before, but it's yet another one of many different avenues for support and financial position that it can place a hospital in for the positive. Mm -hmm. And today we're going to dig into this topic as we discuss raising funds and what these funds allow rural hospitals specifically to do. That's right. And we're talking with someone who does this on a larger scale for a health system, but includes rural hospitals as a healthcare foundation executive. That's right. Our guest today is Lisa Alexander, president of Cox Health Foundation. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Lisa. Thank you. I, I really appreciate being asked to join you today. And this is my first ever podcast. So whew, I'm very excited. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that's exciting. We're happy that you're able to join us for your first. Yes. Thank you. This is great. Thank you. Moment in time. That's right. Well, no pressure. We're, all, we're all very relaxed around here. <laughs> um, so to start, Lisa, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your work at Cox Health Foundation? Sure. Absolutely. Well, I am a 28-year fundraising veteran which according to the Association of oops, Fundraising Professionals, that is a record. <laughs> last they say in fundraising today, about 18 months. Well, I've outlived that. Um, I came and that was a phone call of someone who wanted to send you a check, right? <laughs> right, right, absolutely. Um, I came to this organization uh, 28 years ago, and I came as the director of the Children's Miracle Network chapter for Cox Health. Oh. And the reason oh, nice. that that all came together is that I actually spent the first 10 years of my career as a television news reporter and anchor. And I had produced mm. the Children's Miracle Network telethon for the hospital. And uh, the time came when the director was getting ready to retire. And she called me up and said, do you have any interest in maybe changing your course? And I, at that point, no, I'd never thought of such a thing. But it opened a door, and here I am 28 years later. So I did that. I was the director of Children's Miracle Network uh, for five years mm. and then was given the opportunity to take over the role of the president of the hospital's foundation. And I have now served in that role for a long time. But it, it is such an honor and pleasure to do this job um, mostly because I get to see the results of my hard work uh, in the hospital's continued growth and the wonderful things that we're able to do. And certainly what a passion and what a mission, the Children's Miracle Network. I mean, I've heard about that here in Michigan. Uh, obviously, uh, it's something that I think is across the country. Uh, and what a, what an opportunity, I think, uh, that would be for someone like yourself to serve in that role in such a good cause. I mean, uh, that's incredible. My daughter, well, you know, speak I'm sorry, my daughter was born with a heart problem. And the piece of oh. equipment that diagnosed it at Cox Hospitals had been purchased by the Children's Miracle Network the previous year. So had wow. it not been for that piece of equipment, they, they potentially could have had to have taken her out 
uh, of the hospital to another community hospital to be diagnosed. So I, I will forever mm. be grateful to CMN for the work that they do because it personally impacted me as well. What a remarkable story. So now that we've established who you are in what you do, let's start with the why. Now, we do this on every episode, so we and our listeners get to know our guests just a little bit better. So I want to know, what is your why? What motivates you and what gets you up out of bed in the morning? My why really is because the need is so great. And I'm sure that you appreciate that, too, in your hospital, that the need for healthcare resources today is greater than it has ever been, especially in our rural communities. I look at a hospital uh, similar to what we have here. So we have three rural community hospitals. Um, we have one large urban hospital. But Monette, Missouri is one of the communities in which we have a rural hospital. And it, it's a focal point, right? It is where the community kind of surrounds and and, uh, and circles around for so many of the things that the community needs and, and requires for it to be healthy. And so, you know, as that hospital continued to see great demand, but yet the resources weren't growing with it, um, if we weren't doing something to grow those resources, recruit more physicians, create more access, then the people are getting sicker, which means the community is getting sicker. So the need is great. And it, it gets me up every day out of bed to know that if I can help meet a need, um, then I'm, I'm doing my job. Well, that is a great why. And so let's talk a little bit about your relationship um, with the foundation and the hospital. So uh, as I introduced you, you're the president of Cox Health, uh, and that's the foundation. Correct. And, and you work exclusively for and with Cox Health, the health system. That is correct. And you're correct. raising funds for the system as a whole. Now, you also have some rural hospitals, from what I understand, in your health system, uh, and some RHCs, rural health clinics as well. Is that correct? That is correct. So so what does all of this entail? In other words, I, I imagine that you have a multitude of strategies fundraising sources, resources, and probably specific approaches to rural health that may be a little different than walking into an urban center or something of that nature. Can you explain, first of all, the relationship of a foundation to the hospital? And just in general, because I hear of this a lot, you know, a lot of hospitals start a foundation, but explain that relationship and why would you need a foundation? Why can't you just do it from the hospital? And then talk about some of the specific strategies for rural health. You know, just like um, I am not a doctor, nor can I play one on TV, nor can a doctor be <laughs> a fundraiser and play one in the operating room. That's true. Uh, it is a specialty all its own, fundraising and fund development. And so in, in the interest of really serving the philanthropic needs of the health system, a foundation is formed and created with its own board of directors. We have our own board. But again, our mission is to serve the health system. And so our, our complete uh, every day in and out is to make sure that we are identifying what strategically is it that we can raise money for that is going to put the hospital forward, that is going to continue to grow the resources we can provide our patients, our community, the services, the programs. And we started ours in 1998. Our hospital was formed in 1906. So mm. you can see that we lived many years without a foundation. Um, but in the early days, you know, again, and you can relate to this, People used to be able to just pay their bills, right? Yeah. And then managed healthcare came along and everything changed. 
And so it became a lot more complicated for people and healthcare became more expensive because everybody wants the highest price technology. We all want the best, right? You want the best for your patients. We want the best for ours. And, and having the greatest and latest technology is what people believe is going to provide them that best. Well, that technology comes at a high price. And many times in this, you know, again, in the situation of our more rural hospitals, they don't always have the revenue and the resources to be able to purchase that equipment or provide those other um, programs and things. So that's where philanthropic efforts come in. We look for that need and then we look for the dollars to fill that gap. So we do have strategies. We do have capital campaigns, major gift efforts, grateful patients. Uh, We do fundraising events. We write grants. Um, We create basically a a strategic plan that runs parallel to the hospital strategic plan that philanthropically, again, here's the hospital's needs and directions. And then here's our plan on how we're going to raise those dollars. So, Lisa, do you meet with senior management and to, you know, so obviously the priorities have to come out of the hospital, the board of trustees, those types of things. So, you know, what does that look like on a week by week basis? Are you just isolated or are you integrated into the health system? Are you meeting with managers Absolutely. and that type of thing? So I report directly to the president and CEO of Cox Health. Uh, I do have my own board as well, but my board really is there to help support the efforts of fundraising. Um, The hospital board sets the the strategic plan for the entire institution. And then our board, again, assumes what that direction is and looks for a way to partner with me and my team to create Mm -hmm. our plan of how we parallel with that. So I report uh, to the CEO and I talk to him about every other day. And um, I'm a part of the leadership and administration team. And so I'm a part of the uh, we just finished our strategic planning session for the health system for this year. And so I have, you know, have the ideas now in my head of what are the things that are important and vital for our moving forward post COVID. Um, And so, again, we are now putting our strategy together on how we're moving forward and what are the most important types of dollars. And for us right now, it's still recovery. Uh, we're writing a lot of grants. Uh, I've written 10 FEMA grants so far to help us to recover funds um, that will assist us, again, in leading us out of COVID. So let's talk a little bit about COVID. Uh, I know we don't like to, but we're, I, I want to address what happened across the country. And, and probably from your perspective, you would speak, you know, to healthcare in general because you're a big system. But what happened? Did you see a decline in giving from COVID or did that inspire people to give more? I will tell you that there's two large health systems in Springfield, Missouri, uh, ours being one of them. And then our, what I will call our sister, because we're very friendly, right, with one another. We know that it takes two great hospitals to be able to provide the care for a region like ours in Southwest Missouri. And so our foundation was here every day. We were taking phone calls and answering um, requests and, and, and honestly uh, answering those wonderful calls that people were saying, what can I do to help? Unfortunately, our hospital across the street that was, um, you know, again, I I never want to call more competition, but the other health system in town sent their foundation home. There was no one there answering the calls. And they will tell you today that that was probably one of the biggest mistakes they ever made 
we took calls on a daily basis. Now, remember, in the very beginning, we all needed that PPO, correct? Immediately, yeah. our um, PPE. We needed that immediately. We ran out of PPE within days of the COVID surge yeah. hitting us so hard. And the wow. supply chain became almost nil. So we were calling businesses in the community saying, what have you got? What can we buy from you or borrow from you? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. People were calling us saying, where can we donate? We had several veterinary clinics. We had specialty clinics that were closing, right? Because they weren't serving their patients. Had we not been here, we would not have been able to take those calls, which provided the supplies that kept us going until we could get, you know, what we needed. So our community provided an outpouring of love, support, donations, and even things like food. Can I can I bring snacks, you know, for your ER team? Could I run lunch by and, uh, you know, for the team on the COVID floor? Uh, so many wonderful things like that were happening. And then we ran into that next phase uh, as COVID had gone into past year one. We were asking people to wear the material masks because, again, we were trying to preserve PPE. Well, again, we put the cry out to the community and the phone started ringing. We had a church group. They made 8,000 masks Mm. for us. So, again, I think our role is very important on many different levels, but um, we we needed to be here. And we were. And and because of it, again, I think our health system benefited greatly. So, Lisa, for your rural locations in particular, how does fundraising look different than your more urban areas like Springfield? Because, you know, obviously your charge is to raise funds for, you know, the system as a whole. Um, But like you said, you identify the needs and then look for funding to fill those needs, which may be different at some of your rural hospitals than um, than your urban areas. So is it do you find that it's tougher to raise money? Is it easier to raise money or is it just different or the same? It's just different. It really is just different. I will tell you that federal funding is a big source for us. We have a portfolio right now about two hundred million dollars in federal funds that we've received from our grant writing. We have a three-person grant writing team, and HRSA and USDA are some of our big sources for rural health care. They want to do the outreach into the rural areas. And so we have um, a grant right now, a HRSA grant for our rural hospital in Branson, Missouri. We have a high, unfortunate, we have a high number of patients that come in that have drug addiction or other drug-related issues. We were discharging them from our ERs and we're finding them coming back to us within a couple of days. We have a federal grant now that gave us a navigator. So that patient is immediately identified. That patient is counseled. We have partnered with three not-for-profit organizations in the community who then take that patient upon discharge, work with them and try to assist them in those drug addiction type issues. We are able with our grant to also provide follow-up care. Um, We are seeing a a dramatic decrease in repeats of these patients coming into our ERs uh, simply by creating this program funded through HRSA. So the federal funding is is a big picture for us for uh, our rural hospitals. Um, Secondly, you were talking early on about relationships. So we just built um, in the last two years a brand new rural hospital, which while hospitals, rural hospitals across the country are closing and we have three, you know, alone in Missouri that shut down, we built a new one, which is almost unheard of in this day and mm-hmm. age. But right. again, we have great relationships in this community. And what they were saying to us is 
this 1950s building is no longer meeting the needs. Um, the windows don't seal, the air is cold, the rooms are sharing bathrooms, not every room has its own bathroom. It, it just was, uh, it was not really the environment that we wanted for our patient care, obviously, but it was the hospital we had. So we did outreach in the community and said, how important is this hospital to you? And if we decided to build a new hospital, would you stand behind us? We did a feasibility study in the community and the community said, yes, absolutely. This is one of the most important assets that we have. So we raised $7 million on top of the bond agreement. Uh, we were able to get bonding funds uh, for this hospital construction, but the community of 10,000 people contributed $7 million. Oh so, you know, the, the fundraising there was really about the relationship of the hospital to the community and what the hospital had done to serve the community. And when mm -hmm. it was the hospital's time to ask for that help back, it was there. So there's a, a lot of importance that we put on really being out in our community, investing in it, letting them know we're partners. Um, we, we want our community to know who our doctors are, who our administrators are. They're out there at the chamber meetings and they're at the other community fundraisers and they're participating in the school events. We are as invested in Monette as Monette is in Cox Monette Hospital. So mm. it, it is really important uh, that those relationships exist and that you have trust uh, amongst each other's. But again, it was a person to person campaign. I went out and visited with the, you know, the person that owned business X, business Y, uh, who was the principal of, and superintendent of the school district. And they were, they all made contributions to this campaign. So our goal was actually, um, so it was 7 million and we came in at about 7 million, $3,700. So we, we exceeded wow. our goal by a hair more than even the 7 million. And we still have people contacting us saying, I wasn't able to be a part of the campaign, but could I still give? Absolutely. We've now started an endowment fund for that hospital so that hmm. in five years, when some of this technology that we purchased new is starting to age out and needs to be replaced, they don't have to rely upon the urban hospital's capital budget um, to be able to replace that equipment. They can look to their own endowment fund to be able to move forward with the technology that they need. So we we just try to put that strategy in place of how to think even, you know, forward now that we have a beautiful new hospital, but we, we need to keep planning for the future for that rural hospital. Absolutely. Wow. So first of all, congratulations Thank on you. building Thanks. building a new hospital in an era where, uh, you know, nearly 140 hospitals have closed in since 2010. Uh, so that's amazing, number one. Uh, number two, I can't even imagine the depth of resources that are available um, because of the connections that you're making in each of those respective communities. For example, uh, I use I, I like to go out after Rachel tells me who we're going to interview and, and do do a little research. Uh, you're well versed, you're well known uh, in your field, and certainly have a connection and pulse on the community. So, congratulations for that as well. Thank you, I appreciate um, that. One of the things that really was striking to me is uh, I, I looked at your website which is very nice. And you're in about 10 communities, it looks like, at least they're listed. And then I go into those respective communities like Branson, and you've got 10 centers, you know, a vein clinic, an oncology clinic, an ER, an urgent care, a hospital. I mean, you have a very massive system, something that a lot of hospitals would just crave for uh, because 
in rural hospitals, and this isn't about woe is us, but, you know, the purpose of starting Rural Health Rising was really to focus on those rural communities. And so since you have experience with those rural communities, I really want to talk about hospitals in rural communities that may not have. So let's say that some counterparts of mine are listening to this podcast, and they do across the country, and they're not connected to a system. They're like us. They don't have a depth of resources. You know, they don't have the Lisas in their world. They'd love to. We'd love to. But it's just not in our cards. And so, you know, looking at that, knowing that you have a top-notch support system that you lead, where would you suggest a hospital, even like mine, or tweener hospitals between the critical access and the big system like yours? That's who we are. What would you say is a starting point for them, first of all, and then understanding what are the most successful tactics with probably the least amount of cost associated that they could deploy to be successful in this area? Could you help Could you help our listeners understand? They want to know, where do I go from here? Sure. Well, I, I always like to step back for one, one second and kind of define Cox Health, too. We started in 1906 in the home of Ellen Birch. She donated her home to become Springfield Second Hospital. Um, our counterpart here in Springfield is Mercy Health System, which is in six states, has lots of resources, um, and but we are just Cox Health, right? We are only in Springfield, Missouri. We are a locally run, locally driven by our, we have a board of 35 local people, men and women who support this health system. And while we do have our, our big Springfield Urban Center, but Springfield, remember, is only 150,000 people. Um, and our rural hospital, so again, uh, when you talk about all the things in Branson, it's all still located under one roof. So the urgent care, the ER, <laughs> and it, it's it's out of, again, a building that was built in the 1940s, I think, that we've now added on to. Mm-hmm. So we've grown over time, but we mm-hmm. didn't start out uh, where we are today. We are here today because, again, the community supported us. We had a great board that drove us. Lester Cox was just a community gentleman who saw the hospital suffering and put his own time and resources into helping us grow. And if it weren't, again, for individuals in the community, we wouldn't be where we are today. Mm -hmm. I think every health system, no matter what your size, should have a LISA. Um, Every health system should have a development officer. No, No matter where you find he or she, you need someone that is there specifically driven to help your hospital find the philanthropic dollars that exist that are out there and the, the people who are the grateful patients, because you know, as well as I do, that Hillsdale Hospital delivers outstanding care. And so people are grateful for that care and they want to say thank you to Hillsdale. So um, every health system, no matter the size, should have someone that is there to encourage and support and nurture that philanthropic giving that exists in healthcare today. Um, My father is going through cancer right now, and I am so grateful for this fabulous nurse that keeps me informed constantly about this, you know, four hours away, what's going on with my daddy. And Mm -hmm. so I have already reached out to that health system and said, how do I say thank you for this outstanding care that my dad is receiving? Those people are there. So get yourself a Lisa. (laughs) First of all, make sure sure it happens. But, you know, again, um, and it's it's easy. It's an easy program to develop, you know, because because philanthropy comes naturally. Think about all the things you two personally give to. And why wouldn't your health system be one of those things that even you personally would support? Our administrative team, some of our biggest supporters, they they write the first check to say, I want to be behind, you know, our health system. So 
know that you can do it, that you should do it, and that mm-hmm. when you do do it, that the, the results are going to give you those resources again that are going to help you grow just like Cox Health has grown. So, Lisa, what are some of the specific ways that you have been successful in raising funds for the rural hospitals and clinics in your system? And I know our mutual friend, uh, Mark McIntyre, said you've had some some creative events uh, that you have done as well. So we'd love to hear a little bit about that, um, but also just in general, what, what has been successful for you for your rural hospitals? Absolutely. Well, you know, special events are something that people, they either love them or hate them, Right. Um, but they're an important part of any fundraising program because special events are friend raising events. They're an opportunity to invite people in to come hear about your mission, to have fun, and to raise money. Well, we have an event called CRAP, Colorectal Awareness Party. And no way. Uh, we no have way. people that sponsor the CRAP Party simply because the name <laughs> intrigues them. Uh, <laughs> but you come and everyone uh, dress up, dress down, but please wear brown. Um, so things <laughs> like that. One of our desserts is a it's a chocolate mousse that is made in the shape of the um, the poop emoji. Um, oh my the centerpieces are made from toilet paper and go lightly uh, bottles. Um, it, it's just full on theme, a lot of fun. But the, the the mission again is very serious. We're one of the few hospitals in the country that provides free colonoscopies to our patients who need them but are unable to afford them. And that's either because their insurance denies it, uh, they're not eligible yet, they are completely uninsured. You know, many uh, insurance companies, unfortunately, today will turn down a preventative colonoscopy, even if a doctor recommends it, if they are under the age of 50. So we are finding many young people today that are being um, recommended by their physician to receive that, but insurance says no. And when that doctor says, we need to get one, we need to get one. And so they apply to our program and we pay 100% of that colonoscopy. Our physicians are donating their services for these cases. And the crap party is what raises the funds to allow us to cover the cost of the, obviously the operating room, the anesthesiology, you know, that type of thing. So it's about $1,800 a case is what it's costing us, um, but it's a phenomenal program and the name crap. Well, again, it's drawn people in to come. And at that crap party, we talk about the program, but we also talk about the mission of Cox Health and our foundation and that we have 31 patient service funds that people can become engaged in and support. So whether it's colon cancer or, or whether it's heart disease, uh, we have a fund that you can help support and help patients just like the ones we're helping uh, as a result of the crap party. But Eh, we do have a little fun, you know, with our titles. So with our, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 part of the um, the process that gets my team encouraged too. They love dreaming up fun names. You know, we have girls just want to run is coming up in two weeks, and that's another fun one. Uh, we have top to bottom golf tournament, top breast, bottom prostate. That's what it benefits our breast and prostate. Uh, cancer hmm. funds. So top to bottom golf tournament, but, you know, silliness, but at the same time, again, it encourages people to want to find out more and be excited about it and then hopefully participate. That is amazing. I love it. I do. I can see the headline in the brochure. We are number one in the business of number two. I think that could be, <laughs> there you go. I think oh, that could be your slogan. <laughs> steal awesome. it. It's all, That's it's awesome. all yours. It's all yours. So, you know, uh, first of all, I, I have some uh, questions about the logistics. Um, so I have been told that 10% of the organization's bottom line should be attributed from 
fundraising. Do you know, is there a standard percentage that you or the industry typically says from fundraising and grants should be attributed to the bottom line? You know, I do not uh, believe anywhere across the industry is that number drawn anymore because health systems are so different. Sure. And the bottom lines and how bottom a bottom line is derived today is so different, um, especially if you are like us. So we are a safety net hospital. We oh. have a higher than average Medicaid uh, population in our region. So again, we're being re- reimbursed at a lower rate because it's their Medicaid patients than what a commercial payer would pay. So I think it'd be very challenging to come up with a number like that. I know what Association of Fundraising Professionals does say is that um, what your cost for fundraising dollars should be. And the hope is to always keep your administrative costs as low as possible. So when I give a dollar, how much of that dollar is actually going to our cause? Well, in the case of our foundation, again, Cox underwrites the cost of all of our expenses. So the salaries and supplies and all that, Cox Health gives us a budget. So when you donate a dollar to the Cox Health Foundation, a dollar is going to the services. And that's Mm -hmm. another piece of what is highly rewarding to donors to our our organization is that they know I gave a hundred dollars and a hundred dollars made a difference. So that's really important. Um, A lot of organizations can't afford to do that. They make the Mm -hmm. foundation raise the funds that cover their expenses and then whatever's left can go to the hospital's programs and services. Um, I'm blessed that Cox has always valued the work that we do, but I will tell you that um, our goal again is, you know, I've never been said, at least you have to raise this much. I've raised okay. uh, over 250 million in my career, um, but I've never been. It's never been said to me you must because our organization appreciates that every dollar, whether it's a million dollars this year or 15 million dollars next year, every dollar has an impact on our ability to serve. So again, philanthropy is is just appreciated and valued as a big piece of what we do here at Cox, but it's really more about doing more at Cox because we have a set budget. This is what we're, you know, we're living on. This is what we're going to do for, you know, the facilities and technologies and programs. But when the foundation comes in and can support us with another 10 million, think about what we can do now. Mm -hmm. So um, again, it's just challenging the community to say, what can we do with your support? Um, And then that seems to help us keep growing our numbers every year. Yeah, that's, that's a great strategy. Um, Obviously, fundraising is more than just bringing in a a bunch of cash, right? Um, It's about relationships. And sometimes you can establish the relationship and it takes decades to build on that. Absolutely. That That is true. And you've probably seen that. And I've seen it in my career as well. And then you'll have a surprise out of nowhere like we did. We get a check in the Mm -hmm. mail for... Oh my gosh, I can't even remember. Was it 20000 Well, it depends on which thing you're talking about. Are you talking about the estate that we weren't expecting to receive? No, or are you talking about the check that was friends. just written out yeah, of the... Yeah, she just yeah, had yeah. some it war was bonds. 50000 50000 That I opened an envelope one day and about fell out of my chair that this was a patient who had been in our skilled nursing facility recently. And the only thing she specifically asked we do was get some new recliners for yeah. the skilled Aww. nursing facility. But other than that... She wanted us to, to to use that in the area of highest need. Isn't that incredible? And so that's relationship. You know, she right. had obviously, she had had an experience, several positive experiences at our hospital. And that's why the customer experience, the patient experience is so important, so important. you know, in, in the delivery of the services. But obviously building relationships, 
um, obviously solidifying those relationships and, and as they mature, then there's a benefactor. So, you know, obviously when community members personally invest financially into their hospitals, uh, they want to see the success of those hospitals. And I guess my question is, is how does the hospital benefit uh, beyond the donation directly that has been given? What is, what is the benefit of building a relationship? Why You're spending 20 years on that relationship. It's really not just about getting the cash in the door, is it? No, it, it's never. I mean, again, um, Cox isn't just focused on raising money. Cox is focused on serving the patient. Uh, the, the funds are means to the end, but I, I'll give you an example of a lovely woman um, who was our auxiliary president. And if you met her, you, you know, again, you would be enthralled by this charming woman who lived very simply, um, who volunteered for most of her life, did not, she was a school teacher at one time, but then had a child and stayed home with the child. Unfortunately, the child died when she was 10 years old. Um, but she has loved this hospital and nurtured this hospital. And I've kept in touch with her, reached out to her, communicated with her, had lunch with her. Well, um, about five years ago, she and her husband brought us $5 million. Oh, and, you know, you wouldn't, you'd look at these people and you would have no idea that they had $500, much less $5 million. Oh, and wow. it was never about... Um, she, their whole focus was that they did love the hospital, but they appreciated that we love them back, that we, yeah. we valued their volunteer time. We valued that they, you know, they came to our events. We always said, thank you. So, I mean, it is, you do have to um, spend your time with people and, and let them know they're appreciated, no matter what their wealth or ability is, because everyone mm -hmm. brings something to the table, whether it's coming and sitting at the front desk and helping us, it, during COVID, when we needed temp screeners and we couldn't find one in the community and they volunteered to come do it, uh, we made sure to go out there and say thank you every single day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you mm -hmm. um, for doing that. And if we had not had that relationship uh, prior to COVID and needing those temp screeners and needing those volunteer helps, I, I doubt that we would have had the response that we had. So it, there's just so much to those relationships and letting people know they're appreciated. And, and if it results in a big gift one day, hallelujah and you know praise the lord and thank you people for for yeah. doing this wonderful thing but for us it was about letting her know that all that she'd done in being our auxiliary president and volunteering and supporting us um in in writing uh thank you notes even for us uh in supporting the hospital in so many other ways just she felt valued so you know that that goes down to human nature too we always want to let the people know who care about us that that they're valued so whether or not she would give us a big gift one day was not our focus. Our focus yes. was just letting her know she was valued. So it, but, and then it brought a wonderful gift at the end too. Yeah. So there's just loving, there's so many wins, so many wins out there. Yeah. Loving on people. Isn't that yes. great? Cast, cast your bread upon the water and yes. it will certainly come back to you. And so if you love people, it's even easier. And I do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So give us one of, I think for just, entertainment purposes, maybe. What is one of the most, you've been doing this for a long time. What's one of the most, and maybe you just shared it. What was one of the most awestruck moments for you uh, in your career in development and receiving donations where you just were blown away? 
Um, probably when I got a phone call again from a, a lovely elderly woman, um, also a volunteer at the hospital, and she asked me if I would meet her at Commerce Bank. I said, absolutely, I'm happy to meet you there. And uh, I said, why? <laughs> yeah. And she said, well, I'd like to give you something. And I said, okay, I'll meet you there. So I met her there. She went into the vault and she came out with her lockbox. And it was about, you know, maybe two inches deep. And she pulls out this stack of paper. And I look at that paper and their original stock, um, you know, I'm trying to remember what they call it, you know, the original stock pieces, the the actual stock itself. And it was yeah. uh, circa 1927, I believe. And so she still had the original stock certificates. And so she pulled it, you know, pulled the stack out and she handed me two. And she said, I'd like to start a nursing scholarship. I've lived in rural America my entire life. My whole life, I wanted to be a nurse. I could not afford to be a nurse. My parents couldn't afford it. But I'd like to help somebody, you know, who lived like me, was raised like me to be able to be a nurse. I said, great. Thank you. This is such a blessing. So I took these little stock certificates and I thought, you know, maybe this is $1,000 or $5,000. She had a car that barely ran. She lived in a house that was um, so small and just so so beautifully put you know, just clean and neat and lovely but a very tiny poor appearance if you if you saw the community she lived in you you would say god how can i help her i went back and i called our stockbroker and i told him what it was and he said forgive my language holy crap lisa <laughs> he goes that's half a million dollars so oh my and she gosh. had a 2 inch thick pile of these certificates <sighs> that were half a million dollars. And so in, in her portfolio was about $30 million uh, that this woman was sitting on their original stock certificates. So I called her back and I said, do you know what you gave me? (laughs) And she says, yes, honey, I sure do. Oh, she uh, did. She, oh, she, she knew down to the penny what she had given me. And I said, well, you know, you, you need a new car. I said, you, you know, <laughs> we need to be doing this with you. And, and she was, nope. She was, I have everything I've ever needed. She was, I have a roof over my head. I have a meal <sighs> on my table and I have friends who fill my heart and a Lord who blesses me. Those were her oh words. My goodness. Her, a Lord who blesses me. And she says, now it's my turn to bless you back. And wow. so we started that nursing scholarship and it continues to this day. And it funds about eight nursing scholarships per year right now at our College of Nursing here at Cox. We have Cox College of Nursing. So eight students per year right now are still living. Uh, she has passed away, unfortunately, but um, her scholarship and her name will live on. They uh, all come from rural communities, as she had requested. And so this this rural nursing scholarship and her name will continue on in perpetuity. And we're just so thrilled that we were able to help her fulfill her life's dream of of seeing someone who wanted to be a nurse so bad from a rural community become a nurse. And we need those nurses so bad, as you all know. Yeah. And that's all about relationships. Yeah. And, oh, she, and was, she was one of the neatest ladies. I mean, again, that is amazing. I, I mean, I was like, do I need to drive you home? Is that a car? <laughs> 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 and, uh, oh, this car's fine. I, you know, I've had it for 43 years and it's still that's running phenomenal. fine. Oh, that's boy. phenomenal. So, yeah. Wow. That is never phenomenal. Know, you know, 
never know. What a wonderful story, and certainly about uh, paths that are crossed and yeah. friendships that are made. So, Lisa, once again, we want to thank you for joining us today. We could spend probably a very long uh, period of time discussing the the wonderful uh, opportunities that have come your way through uh, making those connections. And, you know, just this glimpse has enlightened me. It has given me some inspiration, you know, to find our Lisa. And for others around the country listening to our podcast, we hope that they're motivated to find a Lisa in, in their community and in their hospital, because you're certainly making a difference in the patient's lives and in your communities. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about the opportunity to serve our patients and to make sure that they're healthy and, and having a resource available for them. So congratulations to you and your team for the wonderful job that you're doing. Keep up the great work. Thank you. I appreciate it. But, you know, your hospital is doing great work. And regardless of whether you have a, a Lisa, quote unquote, or not, you have great physicians, great nurses, great great team, obviously a great leader um, in yourself. And people are responding to that. So keep up the great work you're doing and know that those grateful patients will continue to come and those gifts will continue to serve you because when you when you deliver outstanding care in a community your size, people want to say thank you. And sometimes, again, that turns into those lovely gifts that just enhances the great work that you're already doing. So good luck to all of you. Thank you for inviting me to be on the show. This is a great thrill for me to be able to visit with you today and, and to share some, hopefully, some nugget of something that uh, that benefits you, even if it made you laugh because I said crap out loud. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate your time, Lisa. My pleasure. Before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? So my most favorite rural experience was driving to Fordland, Missouri and seeing elephants out in a farm field. So there was a gentleman. He was from New York City. Elephants in a farm field. Elephants in Missouri. Four of them. Uh, it's a shocking thing to see driving down a two-lane highway in Fordland, rural Missouri, population of 831 people. But this wow. gentleman had worked for the circus for years and years. He retired to Fordland, Missouri, and he rescued elephants. And he hmm. said, what better place to put them than in a field in Fordland? So he built an elephant sanctuary, and he had, um, by the when he passed, there were still six elephants that were at the sanctuary. But you could drive down the road in Fordland, Missouri, and see elephants out in the field enjoying the hay, uh, having a good old time. And, um, and again, it wasn't a cow, but... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but it was an elephant. It's not something you see every day in rural America, especially in rural Missouri. But that was quite a sight, and uh, and I, I will never forget it. Well, that is a unique rural experience, Lisa. So thank you again for joining us today. My pleasure. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. 
Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.